This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Here again, Doug Collum and Irene Yen. Welcome back. Uh, this is Sirius XM's Bay Area Ventures. This is a program that airs weekly at Monday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Doug Cullum, and I'm here with my co-host, Irina Yen. Um, for those people who are just now tuning in during their commute hour, uh, we do talk to VCs and entrepreneurs and other thought, later, thought leaders with um, interest principally here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's really a, an opportunity to showcase companies and, and people who are involved in the community. And we've, we always seem to have just great guests who come on the program. We're being joined now by Tammy Sun, who's the CEO and co-founder of Carrot Fertility. Uh, Carrot works with companies to provide affordable fertility benefits like IVF and egg freezing to its employees. Tammy, welcome to our program. Hi, Doug. Hi, Irina. Thanks for having me. Great to have you Great here. Great to so have you. Excited. I always ask our guests, you know, like, wh- where did you did you walk over? Did you drive over? And so <laughs> it's a heroic effort yes. either way with the traffic. <laughs> so, here. so Carrot Fertility, I gather, is based in South Park, which is like a ten or fifteen minute walk from here. Right? Yeah, we're pr- practically neighbors. So <laughs> thanks for amazing. having me. And when you know when the baseball team comes and plays at, right. the, at the at the ballpark, it's actually faster to walk over here than it is Absolutely. to take a car. Absolutely, yeah. the traffic can be horrible. Right. So. So short caption, what does Carrot Fertility do? So we make it simple and affordable for companies to provide fertility coverage for employees. And that includes everything from basic fertility testing for both men and women, all the way through uh, more complex treatments like egg freezing, embryo freezing, in vitro fertilization, all the way through surrogacy. And so, I mean, just to clarify, are your target customers... Are they people or companies? I mean, how do you think about your market? Mm-hmm. So I'm way ahead of myself on, it's my, a on, great my, question. on my itinerary, but I was <laughs> immediately when I read the kind of we have a, a dossier compiled on carrot right. fertility, yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out so who do these guys market to? You know, it's a consumer pain, um, right. but our buyers and our customers are really HR and mm-hmm. people leaders, and in some cases, we're brought in through the CEO or the CFO. So the companies buy Carrot as benefits administration software. And that software sort of takes all of the the hassle and the headache and the time and the expense of administering fertility coverage for Mm -hmm. employees and makes it um, super simple. I'll come back to that. (laughs) You don't get off that easy. That's right. (laughs) We'd love to talk about also just use a background just for our listeners, just to understand your journey as an entrepreneur. I think that it's so interesting. So I was wondering if you could share with us um, your journey as an entrepreneur and what led you to found Care Fertility. So I'm a first-time entrepreneur. I never um, aspired to be a founder, really. It didn't even really cross my mind. I was working at Evernote mm-hmm. um, before I started this company, and while I was there, I so did. So Evernote, like just for the record, is yes. not a is not a life science company, right? It is not a life <laughs> science company. It is productivity software. Okay. Um, and they sell to consumers and businesses as well. So I was on the growth team there, and was very happy. I I decided to freeze my eggs while I was an employee there. Mm-hmm. And I went to my HR manager and I said, hey, I have this really important part of my healthcare, which is my fertility. I really want to take care of it. Mm. Insurance doesn't cover any of it, not even the initial consultation with blood work. Um, And that was, I think, $400. And it wasn't for lack of trying. They couldn't find a solution to basically help me with this. And so... And Evernote is not... It's not unusual, it's a, I would guess, right. right? No, it's not. A, it wasn't. It wasn't a resource problem. It was. It was. They didn't have a solution that would make this super easy, mm-hmm. and so I ended up paying almost thirty-five thousand dollars out of pocket to do wow. my own egg freezing at a clinic here in San Francisco. And my co-founder and I, Asima, who is a fertility doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started actually really looking at this from the consumer perspective. And so that might be why it sort of feels like a consumer, you know, a consumer product, because we're really building something to solve a problem for um, ourselves in some ways. So, you know, we started really looking at the consumer experience. And what what we found was that the biggest problem that consumers face when it comes to fertility health care 
is um, is cost mm -hmm. and affordability, and that's the main barrier to entry. Sure. Once you are able to solve that problem or help solve that problem for the end user, you earn the right and you get the permission to solve other problems. The, the experience is really bad, right? It's it's There's a lot in the sort of fertility care experience, just from a service layer perspective, that um, that is not simple. And so we decided to really pivot into the enterprise because um, that's really the main way that we can we can build a scalable cost solution is to so involve companies. So let me let me kind of stay on the on the initial stages of the company. You have three co-founders, Asima, mm -hmm. Julie, and Arun. Yep. So um, you guys came together, and so your inspiration came from the blank look of the folks at your previous employer when you raised this question, and there was kind of it didn't register. Right. And but then somehow in the course of things, you hooked up with your three co-founders. What was that? I mean, how did that come about? Right. So it was really through sort of fr a friends network. Um, and Julie was early at Zenefits. So mm -hmm. she's really an expert in um, insurance and payroll um, right. and all of the sort of the, the area that I wasn't I was going to say insurance with. sounds like a big part it's a of big, this. Yeah. yeah. Understanding the, the system, how it works and how you're going to change it. Exactly. What is the what is the existing insurance product cover and what does it not cover? Um, how do fully insured or self-funded companies um, navigate insurance today when it comes to infertility coverage? Arun is an engineer and designer, and um, Asima was actually my first co-founder. She's a doctor, so she's a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. She's a fertility doctor and really understands um, sort of obviously the clinical perspective. And, and the clinical perspective is super important in the business because we maintain um, a, a, a set of clinical standards that um, that makes sure that in addition to expanding access to fertility care, that that care is high quality. Mm -hmm. And that's a promise that we that we make to, to our customers. So where does a rune come into the, where does an engineer come into the equation? Is there a yeah. software interface piece here that's involved? There is, there is, um, it's a, so the product itself is a software product. And oh, so I see. Okay. Um, it's, it's a product that has several UIs, user interfaces. One is for the employer. Um, who is buying the product right. and is able to sort of see at a global level what's going on in their organization with as much privacy protected as possible. And then the, the second user interface is, is the end user. It's the employee. It's the whom we call a member of Carrot. And so that person is the one who is navigating care. We're matching them with um, the right providers. We're helping them through cycles, order medication, et cetera, stuff like that. So when you made the jump, I mean, I'm going to, I want to stay focused because mm -hmm. it's yeah. interesting to me, you brought in four, there are four disciplines amongst you. Mm -hmm. um, and for, for in your case, Tammy, it's like I'm not only jumping into the world of entrepreneurship and you know, not having had that experience <laughs> before, what, what the hell, let's go do a startup right. company. But then also it's, it's a startup that's focused on uh, life science, medical science right. and you're you're not a doctor, I take it, right? That's I mean, right. You don't. Ha did you have medical, uh, life science uh, education in your background? I didn't. Um, you know, I think that's where Asma really provided a, a, a huge value is that she helped us and is continuing to help us navigate that clinical um, environment. And what's what's interesting is that. Um, you know, we we are a really in this way, as you as you point out, a really unique founding team Absolutely. where we have sort we have of a deep bench, deep yeah. bench across yeah. all of the sort of both operational and software mm -hmm. disciplines that are necessary in order to build a product like this. We're well, going from productivity software at Evernote to reproductivity yeah. software to care and fertility. So right. maybe there's some <laughs> kind of a connection there. I think that's supposed to be humor. Yeah, right? that's oh. my attempt at being punny. Um, <laughs> You know, so, so it's really interesting, like what, um, you know, it's the whole notion of, um, um, you know, what's covered and what's not. I mean, a lot of folks who are, I mean, it's really emotionally grueling, physically grueling, and then financially grueling to go through the whole fertility process. You know, what's the process for <coughs> folks now? And it was really interesting to read about care fertility, about what it has it changed. For example, um, the whole notion, like you were saying, Tammy, either you don't get coverage at all, or if your um, plan maybe has coverage, you have to go through, it's kind of like going through your preferred provider. You have to have a medical diagnosis. But that precludes a whole um, category of folks who want to be parents. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about, um, about that? 
So this is a really, really important part of sort of our core values as a company, this aspect of inclusion. Mm -hmm. I think the first generation product in terms of a coverage product in the world, it was um, infertility insurance. Um, and in order to access that, um, and that's insurance from you know the Aetnas, the Cygnas, right. the Blues of the world. And in order to access that, you had to prove a medical diagnosis of infertility. So you have to have sex for six to 12 months, be unable to conceive, and then you can access your, um, your coverage. Sorry. That wasn't me. I was at Evernote. I, you know, when I was at Evernote, even if we had had some sort of infertility insurance, that I, I wouldn't have been able to access it. Mm-hmm. I was freezing my, my eggs. I wasn't treating infertility. I get it. Right. Yep. Um, okay. And so, and that's that's true for um, um, lesbian, gay, transgender right. employees, and they'll never have an infertility diagnosis. That's right. And so, what do they do? And this isn't something that is extra. This isn't a nice to have. This is something that particularly younger employees consider a fundamental part of their health care. Right. And, um, and so our, our approach and our software and our, and our company and our operations are really built around making sure that everybody has equal access to fertility coverage and fertility care, regardless of age, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, income, or marital status. That's amazing. So if I'm listening to this, can you walk us through a use case? Like as a listener saying, I'd like to bring this to the attention of my HR department Mm because I'm in it right now. So can you walk us through the experience as a use case? If you're an employee, what do you do and how does it work? Yeah, so um, the way it would work is you would sign on and everybody in the the organization in your company gets access to the software. You sign on online, for example? Yep, so you'd sign into our app. Got it, Um, okay. And your app would be custom to whatever your plan design is. Mm. So what that means is, let's say Evernote in 2019 has $10,000 or $5,000 or $20,000 in fertility coverage for you and your partner or spouse. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it's not the person, the employee themselves isn't the one receiving physical care. It can be a partner. So, um, and, and you would use the app to get matched with the right clinic Mm-hmm. Um, based on your preferences, we would help you through the cycle, both emotionally, but also with um, complex tasks like um, medication ordering. Mm. We have um, over you know 70 partners nationwide who offer premium carrot experiences to our members. So that's preferred pricing, mm. faster appointment booking at certain providers or clinics. Um, and so we help to take the time and the stress and the anxiety out of the experience for the employee. At the end of that process, you snap a photo of your paid invoice and you upload it to, upload it to the app. You'll be reimbursed through Carrot for, um, you'll be reimbursed according to your company's plan design. Mm. So if that plan design in 2019 is um, $5,000 and your bill was $6,000, your company just covered $5,000 of that $6,000 bill. And so um, it's really simple. That's how it works for the employee. wonder if you can, um, taking one step back, how big is this market? I mean, wow. you're here based in San Francisco. And I'm going to come around back to San Francisco as your, I take it that's your initial market. Mm-hmm. You're focused in the Bay Area. But how big is the market in general? Can you, I mean, do you have statistics on that? Yeah. So it's, um, what's interesting about this market is that it's greenfield in many ways mm-hmm. and it's growing um, under our feet. So the, 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 in this country, companies spend approximately $2 billion per year on crappy infertility insurance products. Companies do. Companies do. Okay. Um, and that number is growing uh, month by month, year by year. Um, and so when you look at kind of the, the market sizing and how big this can get, I think the, the, the fundamental driver of that market growth is, is um, sort of really significant demographic trends that are underneath all of it. Mm-hmm. So for the first time ever, more women above the age of 30 years old are having birth, giving birth and having children than women below the age of 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a national trend? That's a national okay. trend. Yeah. And you're seeing that not just in the U.S., but globally as well in oh. developed wow, countries. Um, there was a Pew Research report released in January that, um, that showed that women, um, people are having more children mm-hmm. than ever before. They're just having their first child later, later in life. Right. Yeah. Oh. 
And so if you think about the implications of that for fertility care and the healthcare system, that's very significant. And it's going to drive, I think, an exponential growth in the market for fertility, both services, coverage, everything. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Tammy Sun, a co-founder and CEO of Carrot Fertility. And we're just talking about the size of this market and some of the dynamics driving uh, the demand for, for, for this kind of um, benefit. Mm-hmm. So how is it, um, how's it going? How are companies adopting? Is it, where are you seeing the demand come from? Are you seeing from the grassroots people approaching their HR departments and saying, we need this um, because the, the kind of um, benefit you're offering is not working for us, not easy? Um, or is it like insurance companies noticing what Carrot's doing? Like, oh boy, we need to offer something more robust than we have now. Like, what are you seeing? The most amazing trend that I am seeing in the market today is really um, from employees. Mm. I think, you know, even two years ago, you wouldn't really have felt super comfortable talking about this at work. And you can sort of viscerally feel that the cultural zeitgeist is different. We, I have insight into emails that employees, long emails that employees send to, you know, to their HR teams explaining why they need this type of coverage. Mm. Um, I get stuff in my inbox, um, LinkedIn and email from people outside of San Francisco, from Mississippi, from Florida, from all places that say, hey, can you talk to my HR person? This is his name or her name and email address. And so I think the combination of an easy solution that's affordable, plus sort of a cultural shift in um, almost the destigmatization of fertility as a topic of conversation, not just among well, us well put. Right. as yeah. friends yeah. and family, but in the workplace, um, is is a huge sort of step forward. So that that takes us to. I mean, that's a leap. I want to talk more about carrot fertility. So, just again, it's a kind of a common question we ask every guest, which is, give us a snapshot view. What's the current state of play with the company? How many employees? Where mm-hmm. is it located? Have you raised money? Do you have customers? I mean, kind of just a sense for how far along the growth path you are. So I would dare to say that in a short period of time, Carrot is now sort of the leading provider of fertility benefits among mid-sized and fast-growing companies in the U.S. We have thousands of members across the country in almost every GR. Now employees. Employees. Okay, yeah. Um, Across almost every geo that we have the the honor of servicing, and um, it's we are based in San Francisco, and our sort of target initial market was San Francisco and New York, but we're seeing oh, New York too, d- New okay. York too, and so um, those were I think the places where people weren't surprised that we would see um, some interest. Where uh, where I'm really excited growing is sort of diversifying our customer base, both geographically, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the middle of the country. I was gonna, I was gonna say, yeah. you know, in 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 places that people are um, wouldn't expect, as well as in sectors that people wouldn't right. expect. And so, you know, it's not just tech and Silicon Valley. It's not just rich people in New York. It's a fundamental aspect of how people live their lives everywhere, regardless right. of income. How many employees? That's a profound change. Yeah. yeah, so we have dozens of um, uh, carrot experts. We have about a dozen employees full time. Um, all here in San Francisco. All here in San Francisco, mm-hmm. as well as the Chicago office. So, um, actually, you're way ahead of me in terms of the kind of the first initial markets. I was going to say there's a, just based on the the demographics and kind of the progressive. Uh, environment here in the Bay Area, th- th- I would th- I would guess there's a pretty strong tailwind yeah. for, for what you're trying to do. Because ultimately what happens, Tammy, is you need to walk in the door of a company and look steely-eyed across the table and say, yeah, I've got a bunch of emails from your employees. There, there's a dawning sense, awareness <laughs> of what's going on. Yeah. And how come you guys aren't on board with this, with this, with this need. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a bit of evangelizing, isn't right. there, for you? There is a bit of evangelizing, and what I've what I've discovered is that um, you know, it's almost like it almost closes the loop for me back to my Evernote days when I was first talking to my HR person. It wasn't for lack of compassion. Right. People leaders in these functions, they they want to do it. They they have a desire to do the right thing. They have a desire to remain competitive in the talent market. 
they just can't spend hundreds of hours per year managing a fertility program that, you know, that they don't have the expertise to, to run. Mm. And so when presented with a simple solution that is scalable in terms of cost, um, we, we have found the, the, the response to be really strong. And the, the evangelism is really um, almost, you know, it's the spark that gets it going. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like it's carrot fertility is taking on so much, which is so impressive. You know, the the benefit from the benefit part of the equation and employees, but also there's a social fundamental social shift, um, and then medical science, the insurance sectors. I mean, when you're leading, what are you leading with? Like, what are the company's first um, principal services and products to serve the initial focus? And what is what's your vision as you as you continue to grow? Yeah. So the the sort of the first product is this benefit software, mm -hmm. um, and that is something that we are very, very focused on right now. Um, all of our effort and attention on sort of building a, a fantastic user experience actually is much more on the member side, the employee side, than mm -hmm. it is on sort of the admin side, you know, beautiful yeah, dashboards yeah, for yeah, HR people yeah. to be able to have insights. like. The, the HR leaders and, and us have the same interest. Our interest is making sure that there is maximum investment in making sure their employees are well served. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where, we're, where our, our investment is right now. Over the, over the long term, I think, I think one of the fascinating things about the fertility sector, and you actually, you know, it, it, I, I'd be curious, like what other areas um, outside of healthcare sort of are analogous to this? Right. Um, you know, it is it is completely open. One of the one of the terrible things and the great things is that there's so much surface area for improvement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the content is is you know, the, the googling fertility is is not a particularly delightful experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the service experience inside fertility clinics is not a particularly delightful right. experience. Your coverage products are not particularly delightful, and so there's a uh, lot of. Is that is that a sure. euphemism for bad? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean I got to delight your customers. I will say. You, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty um, b and bad experience, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and you're, that's kind of the benchmark for the drive to do th get things done better. Mm -hmm. Is that is that what you mean? That's that's exactly what okay. I mean. So in in many ways, I'm you know we are building products for ourselves, yeah. um, and we can sort of we almost have we have a sense of what's good enough. We have a sense of when it really does solve a problem and when it doesn't. And so um, we're lucky in that way that the, that the founding team all has sort of touched the sector in some way. Can, can I ask a question? So when you walk in, you march into a company and you're looking steely-eyed across mm -hmm. the table at the HR, the head of HR. Um, what, I mean, I'm sure you've done enough of these discussions. What are the drivers? If, if I'm an HR Mm -hmm. person listening in on this program and I just don't know anything about it what, what are the motivations that an HR person would have to be receptive to this whole thing I yeah. mean what is it that drives them to say god this is really an, it's a, it's an important idea I need to move on it yeah so I think the the key, one of the key drivers is really sort of understanding what the talent landscape looks like right. and so benchmarking data is always one of the first pieces of data that we provide to prospective customers you know, it's important to know what are other companies like me providing to their employees. And that's a fairly, I would, is that a blank slate or is it actually pretty well populated? It's increasingly well populated. Yeah, okay. Fertility IQ, which is a great uh, website, fertilityiq.com, did a fantastic analysis of um, workplace benefits when it comes to fertility. Mm -hmm. And every year, thankfully, we have customers on that list as well, every year that gets longer and longer. And so, you know, um, for companies like Foursquare is one of our customers in New York, mm -hmm. for instance, um, you know, they, they are really sort of leading the way when it comes to that particular mm -hmm. segment of the market and that sector. And so when we go into new new companies, we like to say, you know, from a talent hiring perspective, from a retention perspective, this is becoming an increasingly important driver and influencer of whether or not people come to your company and whether or not people stay. And so we like to give them a landscape of what others are doing. Is that persuasive? I mean, it is. We offer, we offer dry cleaning, we offer chefs in the kitchen, and we have fertility benefit services. I would actually say the fertility benefit services are closer to medical, dental, and vision. And I think yeah, increasingly, oh for sure, yeah. and I think increasingly people come to work and will, in, in five years we'll have this conversation and we will be shocked that we ever thought fertility was outside 
of a core health care plan. Yeah. You know, 50 years ago, dental Good and vision point. were not part of what people expected when they came to work. Right. And today it is. And a lot of that, it was a different environment. It was a lot of it, it was union driven. But, but, the, but the sort of trend was the same, which is that it was grassroots driven. Mm-hmm. It was driven by people. So you have peer group, like th- you guys are deficient in this area. Secondly, you've got... Um, it's a differentiator for recruiting purposes. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's also a cost savings. Right. So if you have yeah. an infertility insurance um, uh, product from your carrier, we will run a cost-benefit analysis for you and show you what you can do with the same amount of money or less. And so it's essentially get more and get better and pay less. For large self-funded companies, and that means the company themselves are th- is the payer. They're paying the medical bills as they come in. Mm. For larger employers in the th- oh. in the thousands, they're really interested in increasing the quality of care and driving down costs. Right. And so we also run a, a benefit analysis for them to show them that managed care when it comes to fertility is much more preferable to essentially unmanaged care. And if you're not providing any kind of fertility benefit at all, that means your employees are going out and getting IVF with or without you. And just from a medical protocol perspective, trust me, you don't want them to be doing it without you. Got it. So if I'm, um, just to boil it down, if I'm listening to the program and mm-hmm. I'm an HR person and I'm thinking like, you know, we really should bring this kind of a, a service on board and I'm worried about the cost. Mm-hmm. So you say to them what? Like you can do a cost benefit analysis yep. and then what what do they f- end up learning, I guess, about the cost and how it would work for them if they want to integrate with you? So if they um, have an infertility insurance product right now, we can show them how we can get them more with the same amount of money or less. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a fertility program right now and they're interesting in standing one up but they're worried about the cost, what I would say is the the great thing and the thing that people have responded to well about our product is that it's totally customizable mm-hmm. from a cost perspective. And so the, the, the TLDR is that you can put caps on your financial exposure mm-hmm. over the course of the next year and the, next, and the lifetime of that employee. Mm-hmm. And so we basically make it customizable for your company at your stage of growth. So you don't have to worry that, you know what, I'm a 500-person I'm a company or a 700-person company. I want to I want to give, you know, fertility benefits too, but I can't do what Spotify and Google are doing, right. which is hundreds of thousands of dollars or unlimited in the case of Spotify. Wow. It's okay. Like, we can help you customize a program that is appropriate for your company's stage of growth. And, and just to ask a, an ig- another ignorant question, mm-hmm. but you can get binders for infer- infertility from the major healthcare uh, providers? Yes, you I can. I mean, this isn't a, it's not a crazy request. This is like, hey, it's there. You just have to ask for it. You can, and you can customize, you can... You can put boundaries on the, f- the cost p- profiles of these of these po- uh, policies. Yeah, so we, we can basically, we can create um, boundaries. Um, if you're doing an infertility product through one of the carriers, mm-hmm. it's, it's much more complicated. It would probably take months, six months plus mm-hmm. to figure out how to design that for yourself. So we, we do that in, you know, you can do that in one session with us. Do you interface directly with insurance companies? We don't. We're totally outside of the insurance yeah. world, right. so which the, is great. So the premise here is that you're an outside resource, and your your customers, the companies, mm-hmm. can come through you and make more intelligent de- decisions and decisions that have um, optimized you know, the employee experience both at work and outside of work, and they can do it on a cost-beneficial basis. That's right. And so we make it as plug-and-play as possible, customizable plug-and-play uh, off-the-shelf solution for the enterprise. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break here. I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Carrot Fertility CEO and co-founder Tammy Sun. Irina Yen is my co-host, and you're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 111. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Doug Collum. I'm here with my co-host, Irina Yen. And our guest this hour is CEO and co-founder of Carrot Fertility. Her name is Tammy Sun. And we're talking about, it's really, a, it's, a, it's an interesting industry. It's basically providing um, fertility services to employees and your first your first forays into this market, Tammy, were in San Francisco and New York. And, be, and I do want to shift eventually mm. into the fundraising aspect right, of this. Yeah. But w- it's in, what caught my attention in the last half hour is the fact that, I mean, 
as you point out, it's kind of a new dialogue. It's not a dialogue that people have had in public very much. Right. And it's starting to kind of come out into the sunlight. And your first markets were San Francisco and New York. And I think, you know, the demographics and kind of the, the I don't know, this political environment isn't the right word. But, I mean, these are areas where, as I say, there's kind of a tailwind that says, of course, this is a dialogue people should have. Mm -hmm. Let's have it. Let's get on with it. But then you came back with a comment, which is it's not just in those geographies or even in the tech sector or in the entertainment sector or in the, in the, the coastal elites. It's like a, it's a much broader dialogue. Can you? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear your, your comments about that because you're the one who's out uh, Feet on the ground, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're out doing it. And so I'm curious to know kind of what sorts of reactions you've had when you've talked to companies that are outside of these obvious enclaves. I, that's a that's a really good question, and I think that the um, the interest from places like Arizona and Texas and Florida and Chicago is really yeah, those are good good right, places right. to start. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's very um, it's both pragmatic in the sense that HR leaders are recognizing that the cost savings of having a managed care program can have a direct bottom line impact on some of the largest healthcare drivers today in the market. So one of the most expensive costs for a large self-funded enterprise company is IVF originated multiples, and that's mm -hmm. twins or triplets. They have a much higher chance of ending up in the NICU, um, oh. you know, much sort of um, more negative impact for both the birth mother as well as the child, mm -hmm. not just in the specific hospital and delivery instance, but in year one and year two of life. And so people are looking for managed care programs that are cost effective that help to drive down um, those instances of a negative outcome. And um, um, or a, 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 a not a negative outcome, but a potentially like suboptimal outcome in terms of health. And so I think one of the um, and then and then there's just the the emotional aspect of it as well. I mean, people are looking around and they're seeing sort of an inequity in terms of access. One of the one of the most interesting data points that I that we've sort of found in our original research over the past several months was that 54 percent of millennial um, males and females would feel more loyal to their company if they themselves never used a fertility benefit, mm. but saw their gay and lesbian colleagues and friends at work having access to something oh. like that. And so I sort of call it um, a, a halo effect right. because it's, it is it is a signal to who you are as a company. Where do I work? What are the values of this place that I spend you know, eight, nine, 10 hours a day? Right. And so just having the visibility and the, the exposure to a friend or a colleague at work have access to something as important as fertility care makes you as the observer feel more loyal to your employer. Absolutely. So just a follow on question. So when you're you know, in Chicago or these other places, that you identified, how often do you run into uh, somebody responsible for this area who just looks blankly at you and says that we don't, we don't have a need for that? Does that happen often? You know, it's happened actually less than I expected, <laughs> to be honest. Wow. And I think most of most of the more more not, not necessarily blank stares, but places where we are less successful are in companies um, that have a a let's say an average age of their employee is, is 45 oh, or, yeah. or 42, um, where sort of this is maybe less relevant in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of what biological phase of life. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, I, th I think I think that's where, you know, that's where we don't see as strong of a reaction. But um, certainly in tech and all of the sort of subsequent domino effect of, of places that compete with tech for talent. So you see the financial sector really starting to pay attention. You see consulting, you see media, then you start to see retail and sort of all of all the way down um, we're seeing a lot of a lot of really positive reactions I wonder if we can looking at we can shift gears a little bit to the financing side of the house but before we get into the details of how much you've raised etc kind of along these lines you're talking about Tammy um, you know as you were seeking investors did you find did Sand Hill Road get it and um, because they because they're used to their own playbook like our guest in the previous hour is in the manufacturing analytics space John Sobel at Sight Machine and he was like you know they kind of 
didn't get it and now that it's in view they are about care fertility it's similar it's to your point it should be a fundamental part of insurance coverage like medical dental vision and fertility yeah um so did you get blank stares <laughs> from the investors i mean you have investors so we'll talk about it in a little bit but what did you find do they get it or you know if um, they didn't what do they what do they think so, I mean, I certainly got more blank stares from investors than I did from customers, mm-hmm. um, which really? was yeah. what, you know, allowed me to keep going. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you follow the market, you listen to the customers, you right. you, you look at the market. Um, and so I knew that the market was there. I think, you know, the investor community, when I first started out, really, I mean, it, and think about it, it was, it was almost two and a half years ago. I mean, the world has, has, has really changed quite a bit in just those two and a half years. And, mm. and, and you know, the investor community was, was no different. So it took, I think, I think that community a little bit of time to realize how big and important the market is. Right. Um, and so I certainly got, you know, a lot of no's mm-hmm. um, in the early days um, and a lot of sort of... A, a categorization of fertility into a, a niche market, right. you know, something that was sort of to the side but would never be um, scalable, scalable mm-hmm. and enormous and high impact, um, sort of venture size returns. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, that's a mis- that was a mistake. And um, and so, yeah, we're really proud to have really strong investors so, so backing us Take a today. step back. So, I mean, just for the record, how much you, mm-hmm. you've raised some outside capital? How much? And we did. What, what kind of, how would you categorize that? Um, so we raised, we did raise outside capital. We did a seed round um, last year, and it was b- about three, three point six million dollars. Um, it was led by Uncork Capital, which was formerly SoftTech. Mm-hmm. We had participation from really awesome investors, Founders Fund, um, you know, Precursor mm-hmm. Ventures. I, I won't name them all because I'll forget somebody and then I'll get in trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and some really wonderful, uh, high-profile, high-quality um, angel investors in New York and San Francisco as well. So, so Tammy, your background—you came out of your last your last uh, employment was at Evernote, and so you weren't steeped in the all the networking no. and relationships of Silicon Valley and fundraising. So you're starting really from a from a standing start yeah. to go out and uh, let's form a company. Let's go into an area about. <laughs> I've had a personal experience, but I don't know anything about medical science that, that drives it. And let's go raise money, and I don't even know how to do that. So how? And how the investors <laughs> may not even get the space. Right, <laughs> so right. So it sounds like a lot of fun. It <laughs> was. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I didn't know. I'm glad to be a first-time founder because if I knew how hard it was, I might never have started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know. Right. It was almost, it's almost like a, it was almost a blessing to have, you know, just this fresh eyes, fresh eyes and mm-hmm. a beginner's mind to, to sort of every single dimension of the problem, not just the product problem, the business problem, but really the financing problem, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to really not know anything about that. And as you said, a standing start put me in, in, in many cases, a disadvantage. And in some cases, it was an advantage not to have sort of all of the, the legacy sort of thoughts and ideas and preconceptions around, around how this works. So the company was formed in January of 2016. A 20, um, yeah, 2016. 2016. Mm-hmm. And it's a standing start. Mm-hmm. I mean, for people who are listening and taking notes, on how to how to launch a startup on the fundraising side, mm-hmm. what w- can you remember those first steps that you took? So I would say that if you are having um, so before you go out to fundraise, I think you know having a strong strong conviction around w- what the problem is, and and you don't even really need to necessarily have a strong conviction around what the solution is, mm-hmm. but you really need to be in love with this problem. And the solution will change. I mean, just like we did, we started as a consumer solution, and we sort of, you know, we changed. We quickly moved into the enterprise. Um, uh, but I think, you know, having some proof points from the market that demonstrate that this is something that the world needs, you're the uniquely right person to deliver it, mm-hmm. and the time is uniquely now, not last year, not five years from now. Why is it now? And I think if you have a combination of, of those things, then you are then you are in a strong position. So you've raised three point six million. Is that a Series A? It's a, it was actually it's at seed. It's yeah. at seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how are those funds being used? Is it or is it still product market fit? Looking at or you have the product or is it building the team? How are those funds going to be um, allocated? I guess put to work. 
It's primarily to accelerate growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, our product, we, we are clear on the product, we are clear on the market, um, mm-hmm. and it's really about sort of putting together it's it's in in some ways we're rapidly moving toward or my my job is rapidly moving towards like a a a people problem Mm. and so you know how do i get more of the best people Mm -hmm. involved in building this in um as an employee yeah exactly building the team so that we have the you know the best engineers and the best designers and the best you know healthcare operators and the best customer success people and the best member operations people and the best growth and sales people you know getting those people in a room but not um doing it in a way that doesn't you know that isn't too fast and too ambitious and 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 you know and too costly and and sort of making sure that we we're doing it in a, in a the most high impact and efficient way possible. How are the investors from uh from a you know spinning it around and have they become clients of Carrot Fertility? And the reason is you know a lot of Silicon Valley discussion is about the majority the lack of diversity, if you will, across different kind of cuts. Um, to what extent have your investors integrated this for their own employee benefit? Um, many of our investors have, and so we're really, really um, pleased about that. I, you know, uh, Uncork is a customer, Founders Fund is, is a customer, and in the case of Founders Fund, the real driver there was the inclusion perspective mm. that they understood that there were, you know, that there were employees that just don't have access to their what was their existing infertility insurance um, product, and so um, we're seeing a lot of interest from sort of venture-backed firms, mm-hmm. uh, but also private equity investment banking. Mm. That's really easy. a question for you. So. Um, I think there, just to, to begin to preface the, the comment, I think the press does a pretty serious disservice to the startup community because you only hear about successes. Yeah. You don't hear about the failures or the hardships or the challenges so much. So I guess the question is, how long did it take you to raise funds? I mean, from the time you've knocked on your first door <laughs> to the time you actually, you know, somebody wrote a check and said, we think this is a great investment to make was it like a week two months i mean how can you remember those days that seems like a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) two years and three months ago um so i will give one one shout out my my first um sort of investing partner institutional investing partner was charles hudson at precursor ventures and he saw the potential in it right away wrote a check in you know in a week um we were rejected from yc twice before we got in the third time. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we did our seed financing round led by Steph- Stephanie Palmieri at Uncork um, immediately after that. But I think, you know, in some ways, I, I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, I think in some ways it was right for the investor community to sort of wait until they could see, you know, a little bit more de-risking in the product and the market. And, you know, this is this is a new idea for a lot of people. And I certainly don't expect the investor community necessarily to be first movers when it comes to something like this. And so right. I sort of understand the instinct to want to see sort of this idea a little bit more de-risked before actually doing doing a round. And also I get the sense that as you made the rounds and knocking on doors and talking to people, to in potential investors, there is also a process going on in your mind, in the mind of your co-founders of how to, it's not tweaking the business model so much as it is kind of refining the points that are most compelling about the business is that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, I'm I, in some ways I don't I don't blame investors for taking a pass on me in the early days. I probably had a horrible pitch and I and I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, did I, you go alone or did you bring some of your co-founders with you? I, I brought Asimo with me. Yeah, okay. we did it together. In some cases, I did it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, I was a standing start. I I'd never pitched a VC before. I'd never been on Sand Hill Road. It was right. you know I'd never been in these sort of fancy VC offices. I never <laughs> you know and and that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you walk in and the, it's not like the halls are gilded, but I mean, it's like it's a, a very refined, right. yes. elegant atmosphere. You hear the echoes of the waterfall right, right. Right. <laughs> the front door. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Tammy Sun, the co-founder and CEO of Carrot Fertility, and we're just talking about, you know, financing from the venture capital community. You would mentioned that, you know, uh, Carrot was in um, Y Combinator or YC. How important was that in the early days for Carrot Fertility in general and also from a fundraising perspective? I mean, just, just as a comment yeah, for sure. people listening in, mm-hmm. Y Combinator is one of the uh, it's probably the most pre- most preeminent mm-hmm. um, accelerator programs for very early stage companies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, we were rejected twice, mm-hmm. and then we were um, accepted uh, the, the third time. 
And I think the the YC program is look, it's an excellent program. Um, you know, they're 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 the quality of their advisors, the the quality of the programming is very high. And the mm-hmm. great thing about a program like that is that it's sort of it's a forcing function for you to um, to to really get things done in, in, in time for what's known as demo day. Right. And so, um, you know, you have to get up on stage in front of a thousand investors, you know, the top investors in Silicon Valley and around the world, and you have to present your idea. Right. <laughs> so if there isn't a stronger forcing function than that to, you know, hack some solutions together for whatever problems you might be facing, um, it's hard to know what is. Right. And so they, they do a great job of, of making that. Were um, you up in front of that crowd of a thousand I was, people? Yeah. How did yeah. that go? Um, I, I mean, I think it went well. We, <laughs> we they graduated. <laughs> we graduated. We, we closed our financing, you know, d- days after uh, or m- maybe a week. I can't remember. Time was a blur. But we closed our financing so- soon after that. So I think it was successful. So with the benefit of hindsight, again, for people who are listening, I mean, is do you see uh, Y Combinator as an essential step to the current success of the company? I mean, there's plenty of mountain ranges ahead, plenty of challenges ahead. But do you see YC, Y Combinator as one of the essential steps that put you where you are now? It was certainly an important milestone. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, I would have, we would have, you know, it, it, our, our, our ability to execute and our, our desire to keep going is, was, would not have been blocked had YC, you know, not accepted us. So we would have figured out a, a way around it. But, but the fact that we did participate, the fact that they are an investor today, and the fact that we do have access to, to sort of their extensive network of other founders, um, who I, you know, many of whom I know and, and mm-hmm. respect, um, is, 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 is really an accelerant. It's wonderful. That's great. Um, shifting gears again, mm-hmm. I want to talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're coming out of Evernote with, uh, you know, as you say, you were on the growth team, and I don't know what your responsibility there was, but whatever it was, it's different when you're stepping into a startup company. You're a co-founder, but you're the designated CEO of the company, and I assume you're kind of one of the driving forces behind the the, the momentum of the company today. Has it turned out to be what you thought it was going to be? When you were thinking, God, this is a shitty experience <laughs> where I'm trying to get, you know, fertility services and I'm running into like all these really unpleasant things happening. Uh, I'm going to go do a startup company. <laughs> and so here we are two, a little over two years later. Has it turned out to be kind of what you, you knew it was going to be hard. Right, but right. did it turn out to be the way you, that has actually turned out? Um, I don't think it turned out the way I thought it was going to be, but I'm not sure I thought about what it would be right. very much. And so this is the ignorance is bliss. Thing, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, the last time I was a CEO, it was it yeah. was way better because right. of this. Um, you know, I think that the days if you you know, the, the work every day is is hard and it's you're constantly problem solving and you're you know, you're putting the customer first. You're trying to, you know, understand what the feedback is to in order to make the service and the product better. Um, and then, so so those days can be long and, and they can be they can be tough. But um, you know, I the 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 member feedback that we get from employees, the the messages that we get from um, um, f- just from random people who happen to maybe listen to this show or read an article about us right. or whatever, um, is is really really incredible. And so um, it it helps to keep so keep, what, what's keep things worthwhile. So now you you wear the CEO title. Mm-hmm. You walk into the office and. I mean, you're the main event. You walk into the office. I'm and not. I'm really not. <laughs> well, you're, um, you're part of a team, but you're you're part of the leadership team again. I mean, I think I think I mean, yes, but you're 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 a servant leader, right? So your your position is really like underneath everybody else. Your job is to make sure that other people have what they need in order to be successful and, and enabling so kind of enabling function. people mm-hmm. and so you know your job is to like block and tackle and 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 really like support them in in the work that they're doing and so i i honestly think of myself like last as as a as a you know quote see as a ceo i think of myself and what what i need last and the most important thing is like how do i get this team you know, how do I do everything in my power to get this team what they need in order so that they can do what they want to do? And they said, like, from a cultural standpoint, you know, Carrot Fertility is growing. You closed funding recently. How do you, as you grow, like, culture comes from the top. How do you think about that as the company continues to grow? It, it sounds, in addition, it's very mission-driven, I think, by the essence of how you came about founding it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a really 
sort of special time for a company to be in the stage that we're at. Um, Culture is very much about each of us who are there and we don't have a lot of formal, you know, processes in order to sort of keep culture growing or scaling or, um, and I think in the future that will, that will certainly become necessary and we'll have to become expert at, at doing that. Right. right now, the culture of the company is, is really driven by like these wonderful people who are around the table or in the room. Um, the table's not big enough anymore, but in the room. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, and so I think, I think it's a, it's a really special time. And if we can sort of figure out a way to build on that and to scale it and to grow it as we get into the next stage, um, you know, that's, that's certainly a challenge that I have sort of looming in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, so when you came into the, I mean, in the last two years and plus, what what are the, have you had to develop certain skills or leadership qualities that enable you to do what you're doing today? I mean, where have you had to grow the most in order to be effective as the CEO of a company? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is sort of letting go, uh, incrementally letting go of being a strong individual contributor and somebody who um, is um, producing all of the work and sort of evolving towards a role where you're sort of editing work, um, other people's work. More and, supportive yeah, in, in that sense. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, I I have always, you know, been a strong individual contributor, but, you know, I think my, my longest and my biggest sort of growth path is figuring out um, how to how to how to scale that? So, is your role today? I mean, I guess how would you characterize? It? Is it more inward facing and kind of cheerleading and supporting the troops inside the company, or is it more outward facing, where you're out there, you know, hand to hand combat with customers and employees and insurance companies and so forth, trying to trying to keep the the charge moving forward on track? I mean, I think I think it's a little bit of both, and and a lot of my attention these days, and I think all of our attention on the team is really focused outwardly mm-hmm. um, around how do we, you know, how do we build on this? What I feel is a movement, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, how how do we get more evangelists? How do we get more people on our team? How do we get, you know, how do we convince people that the way that we see the world and the way that we want to shape the future is the way that it should be? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's sort of where we spend a lot of our time talking to customers, prospective customers, you know, media, investors, all of these sort of external people. We want to, we want, we as a team want to build as big of a team as possible. So we have about uh, a minute left and I'm curious to know, <coughs> um, I mean, this is not a, I don't mean this to be a trite question, but mm. do you like what you're doing? I do. It's the best job I've ever had. Why? Um, it's I mean, I, I would assume there are a fair number of sleepless nights and right. <laughs> stress points constantly and so forth. So what's, what's so great about it? I mean, this is the work of my life. I'll be doing this for the next, you know, 30 or 40 years. It, it is, it's my life's work and uh, there's nothing that I, I, I would rather be doing that is more meaningful. And so as you, as you, we, we're, we have got people listening in. What what is it that you would offer in the way of a uh, a point of wisdom that you think is important to being to, to liking what you do to being effective as a CEO? If uh, you're going to do a startup company, what do you, what do you need? Um, only do it if you really really want to see the future turn out your way versus somebody else's way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, That's good advice. D- d- don't do it for anything less. It, it won't be worth it. How do you how do you resolve disputes within the company when you've got a, a difference of opinion amongst your co-founders? Are you do you set the do you make the decision or is it a more of a collaborative process? It's pretty collaborative. Yeah. People have really strong opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have broad perspectives. People have really strong opinions. They're good listeners. The the best idea always wins. But as long as it's your idea. No, no, no. Oftentimes no. it's not my idea. Nine out of ten times it's definitely not my idea. But Tammy, I told you this hour would go fast. We are out of time. It's been great. Thank you so much for joining Thank the program. Thank you so much. Yeah, this yeah. is definitely a company to, to stay, keep yeah, an eye on. Yeah, you're changing lives. So, so wh- where can people go to learn more about Carrot Fertility? Um, you can go to get-carrot.com. And if you're an HR leader or people leader, we can get you a customized plan. Um, and if you uh, just want to drop us a line and let us know who you are as an employee, we're happy to t- teach you how to talk to your HR person. And then should they email you or go to the URL? Um, go to the URL or you can email me at Tammy at get-carrot.com. And my Twitter is at Tammy Sun, S-U-N. So thanks to everybody for joining us this evening. Uh, thanks to our guest, John Sobel, co-founder and CEO of Sight Machine, and also to Tammy Sun, 
CEO of Carrot Fertility. Also, thanks to our Sirius XM production staff, Brian Drew, Charlene Goto, and uh, Tatiana Zamis. I'm Doug Collum. I'm here with Irene Yen, and you've been listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 